0: Welcome back to Inclusive and Online with Kate and Dan. I'm Kate. And I'm Dan. You may recall that we spoke to Dr. George Sanders in our September 2022 episode. We discussed various financial barriers students face. And this month, we wanted to refine that focus on a specific aspect of college affordability, the cost of textbooks and educational resources. Kate did some internet sleuthing on open educational resources. Care to share your findings with our listeners, Kate?
1: I would the united nations educational scientific and cultural organization defines open educational resources as learning teaching and research materials in any format and medium that reside in the public domain or are under copyright that have been released under an open license which permits no cost access reuse repurpose adaptation and redistribution by others In essence, we're talking about a diverse variety of educational materials and resources that have been made available for anyone to use and adapt for free, making learning more accessible for everyone.
0: Many people in the OU community may not realize that Moodle, our learning management system, is actually free and part of what's referred to as the open source movement. And recently attended a conference with Moodlers from around the world, and the work that's being done to make educational resources available in low or no cost ways is inspiring to say the least. And one particularly inspiring story was how a U.S.-based Moodle developer found a way to make Moodle available in rural, uh, rural African villages at no cost to the people. And it made me wonder, if it's possible to bring such innovative resources to rural villages, what else is possible here at OU?
1: We wanted to learn more about how OER can be and is being used right here at Oakland. So we decided to talk to Julia Rodriguez, one of the librarians here at OU who has been heavily involved with implementing the OER initiative at Oakland. She is the health sciences and scholarly communications librarian at OU libraries and the team lead for the campus affordable course materials initiative. She was a 2018-19 S. Park Open Educational Leadership Fellow, and serves as a member of the Michigan OER Network Steering Committee and a representative on the Michigan OER Action Team for the Midwestern Higher Education Compact. Hi, Julia. Welcome to the show. We're here today to talk about open educational resources. Often when we think of OER, the first thing we think of is e-textbooks and digital resources, but perhaps that's not all there is to it. Can you tell us a little bit about what OER is and your involvement in the OER movement here at Oakland?
2: Open Educational Resources, or OER as they're known, are teaching and learning and research resources in a medium that resides in the public domain or are released under an intellectual property license that permits their free use and repurposing by others. So that means that they um, have been given an open license that permits others to use them however they want to. The most common OER is an open textbook. I think a lot of people have heard that, um, but there's also workbooks, lab manuals, syllabi, case studies, basically anything you'd use for instruction. And OER, you know, can come with slide decks and homework and even ancillary materials. I think I first heard about OER and open textbooks at a Spark conference. Um, Sparks is a professional organization for libraries that promotes open access. And I believe it was after that conference, I, I did my 1st um E-list tech talk lunch, and that was in 2008 about open textbooks. Um, but things didn't really get moving at, at OU until about 2017, when there was two faculty members from the Modern Languages, Dicka Bervin and Katerina Peary, who had an OER task force that they asked me to join, because they were concerned about the price of textbooks and wanted more faculty to know about OER. Um, so from there, it's kind of grown. We had uh, uh, the college passed a resolution in support of OER and the Faculty Senate passed a motion in support, support of an affordable initiative in 2018. And then the Board of Trustees were presented with a, a resolution by the students also in that same year. And so since then, we created a, a affordable course materials initiative on campus sponsored by the library, and I've been the team lead of that since we did that in 2019.
0: So fun fact, at the faculty senate uh, where that got uh, approved to be an initiative, I actually got to bring forward and say, can we waive the second reading on that at senate? (laughs) Uh, I think Dica was concerned at that point. It may have been a dead in the water initiative, and I reflected back on my time in financial aid, and you have a lot of discussions about books and the cost of education. um, in that kind of department. So it was one that hit home for me as well. Open educational resources, I, I often hear, you know, what kind of resources can instructors expect to, affi- uh, expect to find? How much work is there involved in adapting to an OER resource? And what kind of quality can they expect when when they do seek out these resources?
2: Um, OER is it comes in many different forms. So sometimes people are looking just to replace a textbook. Other times it might just be parts of a lesson. Um, and so, depending on the subject they're looking for, there's all different types of resources. Uh, it's really grown in the last 10 years, but particularly in the last five years, the amount of OER that's available has just, it's, you know, exploded. Um, and part of that is because there are, is legislation in some states that actually require that faculty look at OER materials. And so, in those states, there's a lot of OER being being developed and built. So New York, California, Virginia, Texas, um, and so. When someone comes to me asking, hey, I'm looking to replace a textbook or try to make things more affordable, there's a lot of places we can turn to and look at. Um, There's databases that are specifically OER databases, and there's specifically OER publishers. Um, So... You know everything down to like finding images. You know we can find different things that are openly licensed. They may not be what we would say OER, but they might be open. And so there's a lot of different levels of open um, that we could have a whole podcast about. <laughs> um, but yeah, there's a lot of different types of materials that faculty can can find.
0: And, and that's interesting because you're addressing you know some of the misconceptions there. What are some of the biggest challenges for instructors who might be looking to get more familiar with using OER in their courses? What are some misconceptions in general? And here at OU that you could address?
2: Yeah, I think the hardest thing that faculty have is is finding this material. They just don't even know where to start, right? So to me, that's kind of the easiest part. Um, We do have an OER guide that I can point them to with some selected resources and databases to search for. Um, You know, obviously quality is always a concern for any resource. It doesn't matter if it's OER or, or, you know, publisher's textbook. Quality in all of the studies of faculty is always the top thing that faculty are concerned about when they select. Um, And so... Sometimes I think in anything that we do, if it's free, people think that free must be cheap, right? You know, right? There's this association between what you get, what you pay for. Mm -hmm. Um, And so over the years, OER has tried to uh, demonstrate how the quality of these materials um, is just on par with with published, traditional published. And the way they do that is through the same means. They have uh, peer review of the material. So you can see who the authors are and who the peer reviewers are, which you can't actually always see in a published textbook. They also have like the um, open textbook library actually has reviews and stars. And so you have users of the material um, actually giving uh, firsthand information about how, you know, how it's worked for them in their class. Um, and these are faculty users, not students. Um, so there's a lot of ways in which they're trying to communicate w- the quality of the, the resources that you can find. Um, I honestly think at OU our biggest challenge is the ability of faculty to choose the materials for their courses. And so, you know, we don't really have a standard policy at OU. Every department handles their textbook selection process differently. Um, Genuinely, we, you know, we say we respect academic freedom of faculty members to choose their materials. But um, you know, with those large courses with multi-sections, this is usually done by a committee of small people or a few few instructors and then all the, the material is used by all the people teaching that course. Um, And that's done for many reasons. I, you know, we don't really have time to get into that. But what that means is there's there's a faculty member teaching that course, um, one of those sections that wants to use OER, they're not really permitted to do so. And so that, you know, can have an impact on on their ability to experiment with this and students ability to have a section that might be a no cost course
1: what are some benefits for instructors um, in using OER, uh, benefits for instructors, benefits for students, and how those contribute to student success and engagement in class?
2: Um, so obviously, you know, the first benefit that everybody thinks of is that OER are free, right? So we're saving students money. I mean, we have some large gen ed courses that the students are cumulatively paying $40,000 to $70,000 a semester for the textbook. Right. So that's huge savings if we if we're converting just one large course. Um, but beyond free, and you know, possibly even more important than free, is that students have access to the material on the first day of class, they have access to it forever. Um, you know, that right now most students rent their textbooks or their materials. And so if they drop the course, they have to rent them again. But OER is something that they would they will have going forward in their, you know, if, if it's a, their major, they may want to refer to it at another another semester and so they'll get to keep that material. And it's also that OER is increasingly becoming a tool for diversity, equity and inclusion because the content is able to be edited and so free instructors are free to alter and add content that best represents the students at their school at their in their community. They can bring in local content to represent, you know, what's going on here in Michigan or the culture of the students in their classes. Um, so there's a lot of benefits beyond just the cost.
0: Yeah, I love that you mentioned, you know, how adaptable it is and how it is a DEI issue. You're right. When, when I was done with the book in college, I sold that thing back as quickly as I could. You know, I wanted some extra money for the weekend or whatever it may be. This is, you don't have to invest that money up front and you get access to that content, you know, you know, for as long as you need it or as long as you want to keep it around. So I think that's an important point to to include in there. And I'm glad that you you pulled that out. So if an instructor has a textbook publisher that they're already familiar with, we know some of the big players in the game, are there typically any OER options that publishers can provide or is it challenging to identify comparable resources for faculty to use?
2: So, you know, typically traditional publishers aren't including OER in their packages. There is some what they call open washing going on. So for-profit companies are taking this open free content and repackaging it into their materials and charging money. Um, obviously, the open community doesn't really appreciate that. Um, but it is allowed by the open license or most open licenses. But you know, there are are specifically open publishers. So OpenStax is now one of the largest textbook publishers and they are an open textbook publisher. Um, and, you know, most of the textbooks, open textbooks get published by universities and So, you know, really when you're thinking about um, comparing these, there, there are tools that are out there for faculty that I have linked on my guides that I create for open, um, open educational resources that faculty can use to help them compare whether they're comparing Uh, traditional publishers or open textbooks. You know, how how do you look at the quality of this and and ways in which to determine whether it's something that would fit for your course? I mean, you know, right now one of the things is that the traditional publishing model um, is to provide the instructor with everything, right? So they're giving them a five course meal you know, the emphasis is on the online courseware, not the textbook so much. Textbooks are kind of interchangeable, right? The content of a, a general course is interchangeable. Um, and they, they get it that faculty are busy and that they're being asked to do more than they feasibly can do in most cases, right? Um, and so they're providing everything to teach a course, the PowerPoints, the quizzes, the homework, the tests in some cases, you know, all of it with the dessert, as I call it, because now they're offering the adaptive learning components. Um, and so faculty sign on to that. But you know the reality is is that there are um, alternatives. There, is, uh, the OpenStax publisher does have a coursework called through Lumen Learning. That only costs twenty five dollars to students. It's doing something very similar. Um, so part of it is this faculty don't know where to look. Uh, faculty are you know obviously courted by publishers and their reps, and Open until this point doesn't really have those reps that come to campus and take you to lunch and send you things in the same way. Um, so sometimes they're a little bit harder to find.
0: One of the things that I, you know, find interesting and many people may not know is that Moodle, our learning management system, that's a free tool to use too. I mean, it costs money to, you know, run servers and there's a lot of people who outsource that to cl- uh, cloud hosting services. But, I mean, a precedent has already been set here at the university in that we do like to use open source software. So the, the kind of the marriage between open source software and open educational resources they work hand-in-hand in, hand in, in the global community. Just having been at a conference recently where both of these things you know, kind of intermingle, it, it just seems like you know, Moodle and open educational resources could work uh, in more harmony than what we already do.
2: And they do work very well together. I actually just tested out a Lumen Learning course shell and imported it into Moodle in a matter of like five minutes. So it was the entire course for uh, psychology with all of the, PowerPoints that I would need as a faculty member. Um, And they gave me, the Lumen Learning gave me the shell and I, you know, had a, and I, that even included getting my um, course that I asked through my, practice course. So five minutes, I sent an email, I had my course, and I put it in there. Uh, So it has, they work very well together. And I think if faculty were to give it a look, they would see how nicely it works together.
1: Yeah, I think sometimes it's just that, like, getting over the initial fear of, like, trying something new, um, or even just that initial barrier of not knowing that these low-cost options exist for them, where, you know, the publishers are, are there, and it's clear that there are services there for the instructors to use. Shifting a little bit um, to the student end of things, what ways do you see open educational resources contributing to an inclusive environment for students?
2: You know, so for students, there's been actually a lot of research about how OER impacts students, um, whether it's uh, the the completion of courses or taking more courses or even getting better grades. Um, And so there's a lot of research that supports that, I mean, obviously, it's not in every case, because if you use a resource, whether it's OER or not, and it's not imperative to students doing well, then that's not really going to impact them, right? Um, But OER is created, you know, the OER community really focuses on accessibility. They have accessibility in mind, so the text is easily enlarged. There's closed captions. Um, you know, students with disabilities don't have to request a copy from the publisher. They actually have copies in multiple formats that they can use and, you know, however they need to use it, whether it's with a screen reader of some, some other format, you know, and as I, you know, mentioned earlier, OER is, is their, the OER community is creating content. Content that elevates marginalized voices and those missing voices—you know—they're decolonizing the text. Um, Canada has their own version, the Canadian version of open textbooks, because they wanted it to be more relevant for them. And you know, the, the new edition of the OpenStack Psychology textbook actually was um, done through, put through a diversity audit by the students, and republished with those changes to make it more inclusive. So there's a lot of ways in which. Uh, You know, students are engaged just through the development of the OER itself, Um, but also, you know, I I think I should have mentioned this earlier, but faculty who have used OER have said that when they start using OER, they realize they become more engaged in their content, that they can actually change it and update it and be more spontaneous, you know, often with classes they've taught for a long time. And so they're able to include students in what they call an open pedagogy, which is when the students actually uh, work to create content for the course rather than having what they call disposable assignments. So, you know, the students do an assignment, the teacher grades it, and they throw it away. With open pedagogy, the students actually work on something that lives on in the class and benefits the class. So whether... They are creating images for a biology class or quiz questions for a physiology class. Those things become part of the course going forward. Um, And so students become very engaged when they get to do those types of things.
1: Not to mention the fact that projects like that can really engage students um, learning on a different level and and really helping them to engage in the material rather than some of those traditional, you know, multiple choice pen and paper assessment.
2: Measures. Yeah. And they even have things for their, you know, their portfolios to show um, that they get to. So when I go to conferences, I always go to sessions where they talk about those different techniques that they've used, you know, and, and part of it's, it, again, going back to the inclusivity of having students respond to the text, what voices are missing, you know, just even changing images of who's represented. There's a lot of literature out of psychology and education that shows that, you know, just seeing images that look like them impacts the way students, you know interact with it there's an entire textbook it's it's called uh i think i have a note here the new politics of the textbook problem problematizing the portrayal of marginalized groups and textbooks right looking completely at how you know people are represented and how students benefit when they see themselves represented in text so uh,
0: it's a really great point and it's it's interesting to hear this because you made a comment earlier saying i could we could do a whole other podcast episode on that and i'm hearing just more and more things that we've touched on, you know, throughout this, you know, throughout this year of the show. And that's one of those things that I always, I always walk away from an interview saying I, it, that didn't even occur to me. And I just hope that, you know, the listeners are having many of those types of things too, because right when I think I have a, a good idea of what OER is and what it can do. And we just talked, talked with you last week about some of this too, as a, uh, you know, as colleagues, now I'm learning, you know, even more about this. We're going to a, a deeper level on this. So I just want to take a moment and say, uh, Thanks for sharing that.
1: Yeah. And I, I wanted to add, you know, I've had that experience of being, you know, a queer person, part of a marginalized group. And all of the examples in my classes have been, you know, very much heterosexual in nature, in my in my textbooks, in activities. Um, and and you know, this is back many years ago now, but you know, it it is when you when you finally see like, oh, there's actually representation in some of these materials of like my experiences. That really does change the way that you know you, the the class impacts the student, at least from a personal perspective.
2: Yeah, students feel con- more connected with the content, right? And that's what they say that even if it's simple as that, they can feel more connected with what they're learning.
0: So if an instructor is interested in identifying free or low-cost resources for their courses, where should they start? And what would you say to them to get them going on that journey?
2: So the library has an open education guide that I maintain. um, And there's a lot of resources or suggested databases to try. There's also subject lists there and they're not, um, you know, exclusive. They're mainly because I've had people come to me in those areas or there's things that I know of. So I build them as we go. Um, You know, and I ask them, you know, you can start by looking or you can contact your liaison librarian. Every department has one or you can contact me directly um, and find out, are they looking to replace a textbook? Maybe they're just looking to do portions or different assignments right now. Um, You know, it depends what you know what their objectives are. Um, and, And I also encourage faculty. I know we've been talking about OER, but I encourage them to think about library owned content. So while it's not OER, it's free to students. Right. Um, and sometimes they can replace things that they don't have students use fully, right? Something that they assign that's not completely used with library readings and those will, or even a library video. Um, and those would still be really helpful for students. So there's a lot of different options for faculty.
0: It reminds me of when we were undertaking digital accessibility here and that you can, you know, approach this bit by bit. Try a little bit here. So you're saying you don't have to look at the entire textbook, but where are some opportunities where we can start with this. So don't think that you have to, you know, build the house overnight. You can just start with Cleaning up one room and, and going from there. So I think that's an important point to make.
2: Yeah. And there's a lot of textbooks that are already out there because a lot of people are like, I don't have time to create that. And I agree. You know, it this isn't, you know, when I say about using online courseware and trying to get us to think about moving away from that, it's not going to be a quick lift for some, everybody in every course, but there's a lot of material out there already. So let's start adopting that. Let's start with adopting even chapters from books, even if you still have a you know, a paid book, you can start adopting chapters from OER books and see how that goes.
1: Yeah. And even taking one step now and finding a resource, because these resources are adaptable, that can grow and change and, and become a really rich and deep resource for your course over time as you continue to use it over the course of the years.
2: Yeah. And I have faculty, they started little and now they're got created their own, their entirely own content for their course, and they're publishing it as an OER. So um, because they started enjoying it and really it being inspired by that. And then I open up that, you know, question about open pedagogy and having students help. And they thought, oh, I had never thought of this. And um, so, yeah, it's a fun, fun journey.
1: So before we wrap up the interview for the day, do you have any final thoughts that you want to share with our listeners?
2: Yeah, I think, you know, if I would say that You know, when I first started talking about OER at OU, we were ahead of our peers, you know, our peers in Michigan, our peers down the road. And in the last five years, the other universities have really stepped up and made a lot of progress moving courses to using OER and free materials. I mean, CMU has even initiated a um, it's a president provost funded initiative to, to what they call a Zen Ed Project to move all of their gen ed courses. So the students will have a zero cost pathway through their gen ed courses, which is a huge, huge statement to make, um, but they've started slowly on that process. Um, GBSU, Western, Michigan State, they all have made you know, huge progress and, and announced the savings for students and the Michigan community colleges have been using OER for over a decade. I think this year, at last I checked for fall 2020, they they have over a million dollar savings just in this semester in community colleges. Yeah, so the students are savvy, and I predict that they're going, this is going to make an impact on their choices um, as they start looking for those low and no cost courses and where they want to enroll, and so I really think that Oakland, you know, we want to um, have that Oakland University experience here, you know, and have our in content that is from Oakland, which we can do with OER. And it's going to be a way in which to help us retain and recruit students.
0: I completely agree. Those are all fantastic points. Thank you.
2: And thanks for being on the show today. We really
1: appreciate you taking the time. Yeah, thank you. We'd like to thank Julia for joining us today. If you liked this episode, don't forget to subscribe and rate our show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, or Spotify. We value your feedback and your ratings and reviews will help others discover our show. You can also follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Pod. If you'd like to get in touch with us with your ideas, feedback, or requests to collaborate, you can send us an email at inclusiveonlinepod at gmail.com.
0: And don't forget to take a look at all of our resources for today's episode linked in the show notes. Please note that we are not endorsing or sponsoring any of the products and tools we discussed in our show today. We are simply sharing our experiences with using these tools, and we do not receive any compensation for mentioning these products.
1: Special thanks to our production assistant, Kayla Yuka. We'll be back next month with our next episode. And until then,
0: we hope you feel included.